0: Good morning. I have pictures. Uh, let's start with this, the, the information slide, the one with text. Um, so, because of uh, mostly like the, the church's generosity, we were able to support a lot of ministries um, in Cebu. And this is kind of a, a list with words that don't really mean a whole lot um, if you weren't there. So I apologize. Um, but So we were able to go to the hospital, um, and um, hospital care there is not like hospital care here. So the families of the patients need to provide their own hygiene and food um, and sometimes like bedding and and that kind of stuff. So we were just trying to um, help out with that burden, and so we we went and we got to pray for them. Um, We went to a city dump where people uh, do a lot of collecting of resources there, and, and they try to make a living that way. Um, and so we brought um, some food and partnered with uh, a priest who, uh, who goes out there regularly. Uh, we went to a, a tribal village um, called, of the Mamanwa people, and only recently had they started settling down. They, they were scavengers, or not scavengers, they were gatherers. Um, and so... Uh, after they received the gospel, um, we started. Someone started helping uh, to build a chapel for them, and so uh, we we were able to contribute to that. And then uh, we were also able to help at a neighborhood um, called uh, the Pasil Barangay, and um, the the Barangay is is responsible for providing like civil services or um, social services, um, and this one. Did not have like a working toilet, and when we were there, there was a woman in labor. Um, she was just kind of walking around, and so like like the toilet would, would have been really helpful. And like the, we got a we got money for a playground, um, and so so then these kids in the neighborhood can come here, uh, which is a safe place. And then uh, finally, the largest chunk of money went to Red Window Project, which is um, a preventive and aftercare. Um, Nonprofit for vulnerable people um, who have been rescued or uh, rescued from trafficking or are vulnerable to being um, trafficked. And so what they do is they provide uh, professional um, training uh, so that they can go to the business world and provide services um, so that they have a viable alternative to trafficking and sex work. Um, so then... We have a few pictures. You can just kind of scroll through them. Um, this is Andrew. <laughs> this is our strategy. You see, we go from lose to win. Except when he drew the diagram, we went from where the X's, no, where were the O's, and we're going from win to lose. That was okay. Next slide. <laughs> this is a jeepney. Uh, you can fit like twenty people in there, and it's like six feet long. Uh, next slide. Next picture. Uh, this is Zach. He's pulling out that he's snaking a toilet, right? And um, and so this is this is like the facility where women are giving birth and where kids are getting their TB um, medication. Um, and so this is really cool. Um, the, the, for the community to have working facilities um, increases the you know the success of that neighborhood. Next slide. This is the playground. Um, as you can see right now, it's a rocky, barren landscape. Um, there's a like swings over there, and all the swings are missing. So we, we got to fix that up. Next picture. And then this is uh, this is a zoomed out view of that the neighboring neighborhood. Um, and so this is kind of like what the what a lot of the neighborhoods in Cebu look like—just um, shanties. Uh, built from corrugated steel. Uh, Next picture. This is us in um, Surigao. Our truck got stuck. And um, I think I'm hanging back and taking a picture and not helping. (laughs) Yeah, next picture. Um, We were able to hang out with some of the kids uh, from the Mamanwa tribe and uh, play basketball with them. They love basketball. And... And kids are so cool. Okay, next picture. Some more pictures of kids. And next slide. Um, and so this is John Rickards. He was—he's a missionary to the Mamaua people. He's been there for more than 15 years. And that's Datu uh, that Rubin He's the chief and like responsible for caring for the uh, people in his village. And next picture. Let's just stop there. Okay, next picture. Uh, and so uh, in the Philippines, uh, there's a lot of kids and not enough resources to, t- to take care of all of them. And so we went to a drop-in center uh, where kids got hot food and a safe place to stay instead of on the streets. And here we're, doing, we're leading an art project for them. Um, right now, they're, in this picture, they're drawing each other without looking at their paper. And some of those kids were fantastic at it. Uh, next picture. Yeah, s- same exercise. Um, yeah, so a lot of the kids don't have anywhere else to go. Um, and so it takes people like these to just um, open up and let them hang out. Next picture. Is that it? Oh, and that's us uh, with the uh, director of um, Red Window Project. We're doing a beach resort ministry right here. <laughs> um, the buffet line ministry and yeah so I think that's the end of our pictures is that the end of our pictures um, and now I'm going to have Andrew share
1: so I want to tell you guys that we got a lot of feedback from people or just a lot of people that were able to be blessed by your help and uh, they told us to tell you guys thanks. So you guys have visibly blessed people. And also spiritually as well. And so for us to come to tell you guys about what we saw is an act of blessing from you guys. So thank you. One funny story is that we were in the airport. And um, and I'm just, like, in line and stuff like that. And I look up. And what the heck? Alan's there. And what the heck? Or like, like, Alan, we should have carpooled or something. Alan was on his way to Japan for tsunami relief. So you can ask him about it, too. So, um... Sometimes you go and you see something. You see something and you get moved. You get moved because it's beautiful. And um, so basically what I'm going to tell you right now is that what the biggest thing that I saw in Cebu was not something I can explain very well in words. And that's because it was an emotion. It was a feeling that kind of came up. You know, it's like when you see like a great painting, a sunset, um, something beautiful, and you get some sort of emotion comes out from that. And what I want to try to tell you is a story of a woman that that I met woman that I met who showed me some part of the gospel. And because it was so beautiful, it kind of moved me in a certain way. And I'm going to try to explain that, but really it's up to the Holy Spirit to move us to respond. This woman's name was Epi. We met her in um, the Cebu City Woman's Prison. And, well, I didn't really ask why she was there, but while I met her, I thought she was pretty cool. I thought um, she was leading this Narcotics Anonymous group, Drug Addiction, and basically, she, she seemed like a really cool person. You know, she loved to laugh. She loved to tease the other woman. She was in charge of this group, so she was responsible and stuff. And, you know, I thought she was all around pretty cool. And I find out later that Epai is a pimp. What that means is she's a mama son, and oftentimes what happens in these situations is that she was trafficking girls out of the country into Guam. So you can imagine the damage and the, the pain that she's caused. How many families and how many lives? And so she was in prison for life on counts of human trafficking. And so, and I was in a lot of cognitive distance over this because, you know, why, what, what happened? Because I found out that Epi led this group in the prison in fact, she actually led a Bible study in the prison. And so she's being, she was found by God, and she got to receive this new life. But at the same time, I'm like, she doesn't deserve that, right? Like, how could God find her? I kind of felt like a Jonah. You know, you know how Jonah goes to Nineveh, and he's like, I don't want God to save these people. And I felt that, I felt that conviction on my heart. And I was like, well, help me understand this, God. And so I'm going to read a little bit from Ephesians 2, and that's really helped me think through this. Ephesians 2, I'm going to go from verse 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. I'm Skipping to verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So, we're dead. If we believe the gospel, we were dead. And we were God's enemies. It's easy to see that in Epi's case. It's easy to see the things that she's done and be like, oh yeah, clearly, clearly, she, she's, she was a sinner. It's a lot harder for me. It's a lot harder for those of us with extended backgrounds in the church to say that about ourselves. It's easy for us to say, oh, we're good people. It's easy for me to say, oh, you know, like I've done this, I've done that. You know, I, I, I serve in these ways. I'm a generally nice guy. You know, um, what I don't really need God. I don't really need to see myself as a sinner because I do good stuff. And I think that the gospel is scandalous in a lot of ways. And one of the ways is that it puts us all on the same footing. If I believe in the gospel, I am actually like Epi. And Epi is like me. Because we are both equalized on the same level. And so, I find that to be hard to accept sometimes. And I really wrestle with that. Really? Am I really like her? And so... Another thing that I find really amazing about this passage is that God comes to find us. Is that while we were dead, God found me. God found Epi. And so he found her in prison. He found me in through other circumstances. How did he find you? It's God that initiates to find us. And so let's start from that place. As a church community, I wonder how many times we hide things in our lives because we want to put up a good face. Because we want to say, look, I'm okay. I do good things. But inside, there's something about us that feels kind of discontent or we feel we have things to hide. And so how can I, in my home group, share my things with other people and have them encourage me? How can you you do that with your friends or your church community? Let's be a community of grace. Let's be a community that opens itself to one another and actively shares about how God's grace has come freely into our lives. Further on in Ephesians, let's, um, I'm just going to read from verse 11. And therefore, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Oh, that was kind of a weird passage to read. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. By the way, if you didn't catch that, it was weird because he was talking about circumcision and I feel a little uncomfortable around that, you know. But what I want to say is that the dividing wall of hostility is twofold. One, it separates us from God, us from God, and the other one is it separates us from each other. So thank you, God. Thank you, God, for, bring, for breaking that down so I can access you. But what about the dividing walls that keep us from each other? What if Epi walked into our church right now? What if she walked in? What would you say to her? What if you knew about her past? You know? There's some, there's a wall of shame that would keep us from approaching her or, you know, like that, that those labels that we put on other people. Where are those labels that you put on other people or that you feel are put on yourself? Those don't belong here anymore in this family. So... Let me tell you about a real wall that I see in my life. We are literally, we have four walls around us. They divide us. We are inside, everyone else is outside. I mean, come on, it's, it's supposed to be like this. You know, it's a, it's a house, it's a building, it's a sanctuary. But how often do we keep people out from this place? Literally, during the week, we'll have maybe about 15, 20 times during the week when people will ring the doorbell. And, you know, folks from the community, you know... Um, They're they're looking for food. Oftentimes they're just in a really tough spot, you know, and and a hot meal would really help them out. And that's great that we can provide that because we've been blessed with a lot of donations. But sometimes it's easy to walk to the door, open it up, say, "Hey, how's it going?" Oh yeah, you're looking for for food, you know? That's cool. Close the door, walk to the cafe, heat something up. When it's done, bring it back out, open the door, hand it to them, and say bye. And yeah, it's feeding them. That's cool. But I'm not inviting them in. And I don't do that because it's really hard. Inviting, like invitation is really hard. Because I feel like they're going to inconvenience me. I've got a schedule to keep. I've been burned before. I can tell when I can tell when you're BSing me. I know, you know. And a lot of times I'm just like, I don't want to help you if you're like that to me. But like, what was the love, like, what is the love that compels us to serve people? That compels us to invite people? in. I'm watching the other interns, and we're doing a little more of this now, where we invite people in. Hey, looking for food? Hey, come in. And so I'll walk into the cafe, and then I'll see, like, Zach in conversation with different folks. And, you know, like, we're learning because we're on the same level, because of that gospel that puts us on the same level, we can talk to people, you know? And we can hear from their stories. And we can be blessed by them. So how can we as a community and you personally really extend invitation for other people into your life. Um, it's inconvenient. It's hard. And who are the people that you feel like are beyond the reach of God? Honestly, I would have thought Epi would have been the last person. But no, it's not, because the gospel really says it is for everybody. Who, is, who are those people that you've labeled as out of God's reach? For me... Um, last year was a coworker who would come in, and he'd come in with a hangover every day. And he lived this lifestyle that I thought was beyond, you know, I, I thought he didn't really care about God, you know. But he had these spiritual questions, I found out later. Or maybe you're on the outside, and you're looking in, and you're like, well, there's no place in here for me. I just want to say that, that there is. And so from Epi, I learned that we, we are a broken community. We are a people that are on the same level, and we were all sinners rescued by God. And from that, how can we, the dream is that we as a community invite people in, invite people into our personal lives and communally on Mondays, whenever, we invite people in and we really show them the grace of God. Ken's going to talk a little bit about his story.
2: Luke chapter 10, 25 to 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, the priest was going down to that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So, likewise, a Levite, when he came down to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went down, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he set him to his own animal and brought him to an inn to take care of him. And the next day he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever you spend, I will pay you when I come back. Now which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to to the man who fell among robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. My name is Kenneth Luring, and I immigrated here from Hong Kong about eight years ago. Um, which means, basically, I watched Japanese anime growing up, um, eat too many pork dishes, and I like my milk tea extra sweet. (laughs) And like almost all upper-middle-class Hong Kong Chinese, we had a Filipino maid. Um, I grew up with a maid for the first 16 years of my life. Uh, The Philippines exports domestic workers to mainly Chinese and Arab states, Um, and you see them in many Hong Kong households. Their role is primarily in the kitchen. Um, They take care of the children. Um, They cook and they clean. And when visitors come, uh, we try to keep them out of sight because while they're part of the household, they're not really part of the family. And so I grew up learning that the Filipino people were people of servants. So when Jesus finished this parable, when he asked which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer couldn't give a straight answer. He couldn't because it would make sense if it was the Samaritan that was beaten on the road, and it was the lawyer, the righteous Jew, that helped him out. But it was not the case here. We don't know the ethnicity of the man uh, that was wounded, but we do know we do know that it was the Samaritan, right? This despised people. Um, where Jews always looked down to um, was the people that helped, that were filled with compassion that Jesus used. And in the same way, I don't understand how, who I thought, if Jesus is right, who I thought were people's servants, are people that I thought uh, had little a dignity and self-agency, um, are people that looked to the Chinese for wealth and a white man as the Messiah. Um, I don't see how they could be the people that Jesus mentions as being used, as being the one that is filled with compassion for the wounded traveler. When I first heard of this trip, I was incredibly reluctant to go. Um, I knew I had to deal with the concept, of my concept, of the Filipino woman. Um, I think, as men, uh, we we objectify women, but when we come to know the Lord, um, it grieves the spirit in a way that this becomes a nightmare sometimes. Um, But for me, it was already very deeply offensive uh, to even bring that idea of a Filipino woman as an object. Not because I believed that they had any dignity, but because I thought that they had none. um, Because they were just they were servants, they're just too low, and I couldn't think of them as being human. About three or four days into the trip, I just realized how God just showed me like, how like, narrow and stupid I was. Like, I mean, it's true, the Philippines is incredibly broken. I mean, young girls are taught at a very early age to place their salvation in marrying a much older white male. Um, to get of both poverty um, physical, like living in the shacks and stuff, and also like to find emotional fulfillment and you see these rich the rich would live in these huge giant mansions, and just outside there's poor people like living in the shacks, picking up trash, and that's how they live. Um, but god God showed me an incredible beauty in the people of Cebu, and I don't really know how to describe it, as Andrew said, like how do you describe a movement of God? How do you describe beauty in such a way that makes sense? There's this outreach, it's called the Fiente Outreach, and basically local churches gather, um, they praise, they worship, um, they sing songs with these street kids that roam around the, in Cebu, in the Cebu Sea Center. Um, to get an idea of how impoverished these kids are, they uh, sniff glue. Uh, they call it to do rugby, um, basically to suppress their hang- hunger. Um, and they don't really know what it means for uh, to have safe people. And so they'll come up and they'll hug you because they have no idea what physical affection means. But when you see these kids, when they worship, it's they have a strange joy, and I don't know how to describe it. Uh, it's as if children were clinging to Jesus, like something that you read in the Bible, that you never really see it right it's crazy uh, and i think i saw a movement of god there yeah very much like the lawyer i think i'm i'm young and rich like i'm this chinese american christian um and i think i've read the bible pretty thoroughly but I don't know, like these kids, I don't know if I'm broken enough to come to the cross. I don't know if I am broken enough to cling to Jesus. It seems as if Jesus chooses the sick and not the arrogant and the capable. And I don't know if the lawyer asked the right question. He asked Jesus who his neighbor was because he wanted to justify himself, because he wanted to find some sort of self-worth outside of Jesus. Maybe he wanted to be able to choose who he can love. But perhaps he should have asked himself who he was. Who is this lawyer? Is he the priest? Is he the Levite? Or is he the Samaritan? Or is he really the person unwounded on the side of the road? Is he really the one that needed mercy from a despised people? Is he really the one that needed to see Christ? And I think this trip in Cebu really showed me who I was. Thank you.
3: Wow, that's amazing.. Um, So, so as we've been talking about, um, we have like this uh, this experience that we we go into, and we're really looking we're really looking for ways to really uh, implement uh, what we were uh, experiencing in the Philippines here in the city. Um, and I think we walked away with a whole lot more, um, uh, just more of a knowledge of ourselves um, as people and. Uh, where we're at in our own relationship with the Lord. Uh, So I want to share real briefly, just, you know, uh, on an objective, practical level, uh, what we uh, learned and what I discovered. Uh, But uh, there was something more beyond that that really challenged me throughout the week. Uh, And, uh, yeah, I'll share that. Um, Yeah, while we were there, we got to stay with a missionary family and... uh, through them, uh, we got to understand uh, more clearly uh, the many different sides of what trafficking is, um, from uh, where it starts in the slums usually, um, and uh, how how girls are abducted and trafficked, um, and the uh, the culture of accepting uh, the idea. That uh, young girls, the best way for them to make money and to uh, defeat their poverty is to sell themselves. Uh, you know, we, we got to see that. And we got to see the different groups that were, uh, y- you know, educating and um, uh, reaching out and being a part of uh, these people's lives. So, uh, yeah, we got to see many different sides, but we also got to see intervention. We got to do a ride along with IJM. Uh, and really, you know, hear the stories of the investigators and uh, the people that are on the streets like really putting time into uh, to closing down brothels and uh, uh, you know, just areas where prostitution is really, really uh, pervasive and prevalent. Um, so, It's all really new to me. This was my first time overseas, uh, and uh, I think in my time here as a part of this community, it's really the first time that I've uh, been forced to really address matters of justice and see how those matters are uh, part and parcel with the gospel and that uh, Christ's work and redemption in our lives, uh, we can reflect that out to the community in the world around us, uh, you know. So, I think I see and understand uh, the trafficking and prostitution revolve around issues of poverty a lot of times, and uh, it really relates to what a lot of people have asked me in conversations about, uh, you know, what can we do about it. Uh, before we before we left, uh, we had a short discussion about this, and I had several people come up to me and ask that, and. Uh, it's taken a while for me to develop some sort of answer for that because I don't really know either. Um, because it is a really difficult issue. It's a heavy issue. But it's one that's, you know, very, uh, it's, it's a problem here where we live. So, so that was what I was praying about going into. What can I take from this trip and, like, put into practice here in Oakland? Um, but, of course, it's, it's really important just to know about it you know our knowledge of the issue and the people behind the issue, the, the lives of the the girls on the streets, and knowing that there's more behind that than what we see, that there's stories associated with these people, and uh, knowing how to reach out to them and, and accept them and love them. Um, we also took a, a class in the city in San Francisco uh, over human trafficking, and through that we learned how to, uh, you know, Inve- like do sort of a safe investigation of different businesses that act as fronts for uh, prostitution, and uh, but it seems like kind of a stretch for us to like really be involved on that level. Really, the level that I see that we can be involved in as a church is prevention, and uh, and that involve. Uh, and that really involves causing effect and the people that are particularly susceptible to being trafficked. Um, and as we saw in the Philippines, uh, that this is primarily people in poverty, people that, um, yeah, it's like the te- in what it's taught, you know, that's an easy and practical way to make money. But it really, uh, you know, distracts from the truth that we are people created in God's image uh, that we have dignity, uh, that these girls on the streets have dignity, and they are humans as well. Um, and being lowered to that level, that really, uh, that really uh, fragments and destroys that that truth. Um, so, so this is a point that I can really get on board with and uh, and put into practice here. Um, and it really broadens the scope of ways that we can be involved as a church to address uh, issues like trafficking, um, and simply being like we have a Taekwondo ministry here, and on the front it's it's a lot of fun. You know, you get to hang out with kids. You get to uh, you, they get to, they learn discipline, discipline and uh, every, every once a month they come over and uh, to this side of the church they have food. And uh, we do a project with them uh, they're learning the fruits of the spirit right now and we got to do art with them. Uh, that was a lot of fun but I think that that's justice you know that's prevention you're giving families and kids something to do and uh, and it really b- brings our church together you know a lot of people come to this church but I think the Taekwondo ministry, reflects, like, just this neighborhood and, uh, you know, uh, communities that are a little deeper east. Um, so, so that's one thing. Uh, it's just being involved. Uh, there's a refugee uh, ESL class that teaches here, and uh, they have made, the people that teach that have made friendships with these people that have been in the Bay Area for less than three months, you know, and it's really cool to, to get to witness that every week. That's justice. Because whenever they uh, share it with these people and they teach them English, they're actually teaching them much more. They're teaching them that they are dignified people, and that you. Know, and it's really cool on the other side of that that it happens in a church and the people that are teaching are Christian. You know, it's like this is an outpouring of their love for Christ. Is they're uh, you know reaching out to people, um, so. That's that's what I'm thinking. Is like my 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 own understanding of what justice is is much broader than just addressing like you know intervention, going in like investigating uh, places of prostitution and like really going in there and saving the prostitutes. And that's 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 almost as objectifying as you know as I don't know. It, it just seems shallow. It's like, but we can have relationships with people in our community. We have a great opportunity as a church here in the inner city to do that. Um, so, on a practical level, that's, that's some stuff uh, that I wanted to share and uh, felt the need to share. Um, uh, but throughout the week, I was particularly challenged by uh, a portion of Scripture that um, uh, we went through the first day in a devotional. It's from Luke chapter 14, uh, it's verses 25 through 35. And just before I talk about it, it's really one of the more difficult places in Scripture. Uh, Jesus says some really heavy stuff here. And I'm not going to have the time to really unpack it all, so I'll just let Albert make up for everything that I say here in a few weeks when he goes through it. Is that cool, Albert? Okay. Um, So, okay, I'll go ahead and read it. Now, great crowds accompanied him, So we were talking about this uh, the first day with this family that we were living, uh, living with while we were in Cebu. And it really challenged me uh, that day and throughout the whole week. And there's this underlying question with it all, uh, and it's really about how much are we willing to give Christ? Um, at the time when Christ spoke this, there, was a, there were a lot of people following him. And a lot of them just wanted to see what cool thing he would do next. You know, uh, there was a lot of hype around Jesus' ministry and uh, people would tell other people about Jesus. Hey, he's coming to town. You know, it's like, you know, Prince coming to town. You know, it's like everyone freaks out. It's like Prince is playing. It's like, it's like Jesus is coming to town, guys. Let's go check it out. You know, uh, I like Prince, by the way. You might not like me anymore. Um, anyway, um, Jesus is coming to town. So there's all this hype, you know, and people go to see him. And Jesus just right in the middle of it cuts him off and, and says, you know, if you don't hate your, your life, you can't follow me. It causes this massive division between the people that are following him to see what cool things happen, what's going on, and just watching. And people that actually want to follow him. And I imagine that the crowd after this got a lot, uh, a lot smaller. Uh, in the in the next section of scripture, there's it's basically he, Christ hanging out with tax collectors and the Pharisees standing in the background, like saying, "What's he doing over there?" I think that that was one of the divisions. Um, so, uh, you know, with that, uh, I think that what, what's really happening here is Christ is raising the bar for us as followers of Him. Uh, I don't think that hating your mother and father and hating yourself is really objectively what he is saying. We know that he also said, love thy neighbor as yourself. There's a lot to balance that out, but really it's just raising the bar. It's like, how much are we willing to give Christ? It's like, uh, he gave everything for us. Um, Hmm. So I have a story of a guy uh, in the Philippines. Uh, One of the most interesting and profound times uh, of of my visit out there was our visit to uh, a trash dump in the city of Cebu. And uh, there's a Catholic priest that has been ministering to the people in this trash dump for over 20 years. He wrote a little book. It's like 20, 30 pages at most. Um, uh, and it's just reflections on his time with these people. And I got to read it, uh, and he talked in it about a week long, uh, whenever he first came there, he spent a whole week just living in the dump. And I can tell you from my own experience walking through that, that that would be really difficult. I've never seen so many kids in some place that just, they didn't have that. You know, you, you smile at a kid, and they smile back. You wave, and they wave back. Like, you smile at these kids, and they're just like, it broke my heart. There's open wounds, like uh, uh, all sorts of disease. There's flies everywhere. It smells like poison, and this is what pe- these people live in. And there's over 800 people that live at this trash dump. And what they do is they uh, scavenge. People dump things there, and they scavenge it out. Uh, but this is this is the cool part of this is that this uh, Catholic ministry has been here and serving these people for 20 years. We walk up on it. And I just see a massive sound system. It was like, I don't, I mean, the speakers were terrible. It was so, so bent out of shape. But they were playing, like, uh, you know, all this Western dance music. And the kids, and the the nuns were actually, they had set up groups for the kids to to have a dance competition. Uh, and, I don't know, there was some bit of joy in that, you know? Um, whenever they don't, don't have anything, they could, they could dance. Um, but uh, yeah they they did some worship a time of worship they did uh, uh, father Heinz gave a short word in Savano their local language and then we got to serve them food and some some of what you guys gave us uh, as funds we, we uh, invested in that and we hand, handed out back to the people of this trash dump um, uh, yeah it was a, it was a great inter- opportunity to interact with the residents there and uh, Um, I I see that Father Hines has really given a lot. A lot of his philosophy behind working with the people in this place uh, even goes against a lot of uh, what the Catholic Church espouses. But he loved the people. He defended the people. And he was a proponent for justice. And it involved him giving a lot of his life over to that. And, uh, And I walk away from that, and I'm just like, how much am I willing to give? If God wanted me... To go to the Philippines to do ministry there, would I go? And I have to say, honestly, whenever I first was there, I asked myself that question in reflection of the scripture. And I would say, I don't know. It's really hot and miserable. And uh, there's, I mean, traffic is terrible. It's like you just, want, I don't know. Some people say they really like, you know, all the lanes sort of blending together and people. Uh, doing whatever they want, uh, but it stressed me out a little bit. <laughs> um, and I, I don't know if I could eat pork every day. <laughs> it's like, that was hard for me. By the end of it, it was like... Um, but I, I had to say, like, after seeing these guys' lives in action and seeing uh, just this experience that these other, other guys have been talking about of an underlying joy and presence... Uh, There, that it's it's really it's tangible, but it's hard to explain. And I saw that and felt it as well. And um, by the end of it, I was like, "Well, yeah, yeah, I would go." You know, I think where God is, there is joy, there is hope, there is purpose, uh, and we don't have to be afraid of that. Um, And so, I want to challenge us, like, to follow Christ, like really, like not. just to, to be up with the hype of what this church is doing in our community um, and being a part of it. We have opportunities with the kids in Taekwondo, the Taekwondo ministry, and reaching out to other kids and families in our, in our neighborhood. Um, it's like, pray about it. Like, uh, and don't be afraid of what God might do in your life. Um, so I'm, I'm being challenged with that. I'm working through it. Um, so if we can work through it together, let's, uh, let's do that. So that's all I got.
0: So Ken shared a little bit about a little bit about the Fuente Osmena ministry. Uh, the churches really just gather the kids. Like so they've been doing it for a while and they set up shop in this park. And then the kids just start streaming in. And basically the way the night goes is tag. Um Lots of tag, um, some wrestling, uh, and then lots of piggyback rides, and then and then they gather all the kids, they sit them down, and they do worship. They pray over the kids, they bless them, and then there's dinner. And it's not just kids; it's like kids and families, uh, just out in the streets. And the first time we were there, I had a conversation with one of the leader, the ministry leaders from the Vineyard Church, and. And I was just making small talk, and I asked him what he does, and he said, "I don't have a job. I do this." Uh, I don't remember his name, so I guess I'll just call him Jesus, because he was he was out there, he um, like just loving these kids who didn't have advocates, uh, and like. So he would do that Monday and Friday, and then throughout the week he like gave haircuts or uh, did first aid, and he, he just showed love. He, he was available to meet their needs. And his, this conversation, I, I remember it because his answer was so straightforward. He just said, I do this. Uh, whereas like, when I'm thinking about what I want to do uh, after this internship, it's not so straightforward. It's very convoluted. I have a lot of questions about my future, uh, I have questions about how much money I want to make, how much, what I want to spend with my free time, what kind of status I want, whose respect I want to get. Um, so, there's a Jesus says something about that, surprisingly enough. Matthew six nineteen. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That's what Jesus tells us to do. In Mark 10, someone asks him, What do I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? And he says, You lack one thing, go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Come, follow me. So what's the gospel truth here? Um, that's, That's the core of what we're doing, right? Like the gospel, the good news. Jesus promises that if I follow him, I will have treasure that lasts forever. Uh, That's the truth. So how much do I believe that? How much do I believe that I shouldn't be storing treasures on earth and instead be storing treasures in heaven? How much do I believe that investing my time and energy and resources in treasures on earth will actually give me less return than investing in treasures in heaven? And I think the way that I actually do spend my time tells tells me what I believe and what I trust in. Um, and so like I, I take a look at what I spend my time in, and, and that tells me my, whether I believe that investing in treasure in heaven is a good thing. And so a big theme for me while I was in the Philippines was availability. The four of us were available uh, <clears throat> during the whole trip. To We were just available to do whatever. My expectation for my day was that uh, I'd help out with something. That that was it. Uh, my hope was that I'd be where God wanted me to be, and we were willing and available to be uh, wherever God wanted us. And I witnessed a lot of availability there from people who were doing ministry, uh, people who submitted their lives to Christ and were laying up for themselves treasures in heaven. Brother Paul is one guy. He led the, the prison ministry for us, and like every night for I don't know how many years, he would go to the red light district at like 11 p.m., talk to the pimps, talk to the prostitutes, share Jesus with them, hand out condoms. And he was protecting lives. And that's, that's what he did. Uh, uh, Carlos uh, was building relationships with gang members, introducing them to Jesus, people who wouldn't otherwise get a chance to meet Christ. And that's that's what he did. Um, so now I'm, I'm home. I've been home for a month, and I'll probably be home for a while. What do I hope for every day? And I think, I'm not saying this is God's will for me to help to love the needy. I used like that, That's what I said in the Philippines. Now I say, don't bother me. Um, like, you know, Andrew talks about the, the doorbell ringing. Um, and that's kind of what I say as I walk out. Please don't bother me. And So what am I making myself available for now? It's pretty obvious you know, that it's not God's will. And so originally when I was planning out this, what to share, I really wanted to encourage you guys. Um, I wanted to say, make yourself to serve as the body of Christ and serve with the church and help an intern so that we don't have to do everything. Um, and I realized that wasn't a good idea. Um, you guys don't need to hear that. Uh, this is my testimony, and I'm still struggling to believe that Jesus, to believe Jesus when he says, follow me and have treasures in heaven. I, it's, I struggle with desiring the treasures of this world. Um, and, you know, I know they'll disappear eventually. And Jesus promises me treasure that will last forever. I believe him, and I need him to help me with my unbelief. Um, When I was in the Philippines, you know, I got a chance to invest in those treasures in heaven. um, And it was great. It was simple. It was straightforward. But I forget how good it is, and then I just kind of, like, slip back in, and I want to live this regular life. And so now I'm asking these questions, how will I live when I start working, um, or what will I do with my free time? Will I be available wherever I am to minister and to rely on the Holy Spirit? Like, Will I stop limiting the work of God because I want to rely on myself and do what I want to do? Um, will I hope for my days that God would show me something, or, or will I just hope that I'll get a lot of things done? Um, will I be able to say about my life or my days that I sold everything I had uh, and followed Jesus? That's what Jesus calls us to do. <clears throat> he gave us talents, and he wants, us, he wants to bless us um, through us giving it up. So, like the gospel, you know, he says, he says, sell everything you have and follow me. It's really simple. Um, it's really simple to do that. But then it's also really complicated, um, because you have to die to yourself all the time, and who likes doing that? Um, so, uh, as Tim Keller would say, it's, it's not just simple, it's not just complicated, it's both. Um, and so, um, you know, I, that's like just something I'm wrestling with. And, and when I wrote my ser- this sermon, I didn't have a conclusion, so that's kind of it.
1: <clears throat>
0: <laughs> Thank you guys for all your support and prayer for us as we went to the Philippines. Um, I really feel like God, you know, he blessed us with so many miracles there, um, just like the fact that we were able to to see and do and experience and learn all the things that we did.
4: Thank you guys for your testimony. Andrew, thank you for challenging us about our walls. Ken, thank you for going over Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, so I can skip that next week. Uh, Thank you for your testimony, though. That was really powerful. Zach, thanks for going over Luke 14. I'll skip that one, too. But thank you for pointing out just the uh, prevention aspects and practical ways we can reach out to do justice. And also, uh, Eric, thank you for uh, pointing out where our treasures should lie. Thanks for those testimonies. Very powerful, and I learned a lot. Uh, I gathered a lot, and I'm humbled that we get to be a part of your lives and how god is kind of working in your life um i I look forward to uh our future and uh, i have a lot of hope as to uh younger folk than me i think we're the same generation maybe not no we're not we're not the same generation for future generations i'm really aging i'm not getting choked up and uh our, our kind of theme verse for our church this year is Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And I feel that this has truly exhibited what we are attempting to do. Um, along with our... Uh, the- we have several thematic goals that we're accomplishing within um, our church. And our, our thematic goal is is to extend genuine love and care to our Jerusalem, which is our Oakland. Um, And one of those ways we we do that are the various things we do here. And what we are wanting to do is we we are wanting to open up our chapel after service to anyone who is welcome to give us feedback on how we can extend that genuine love and care to Oakland, to uh, giving us feedback as to how we can uh, extend care within our service because we we have found that a lot of folks are falling through the cracks when they come to visit Regen because we aren't we aren't connecting with them we aren't touching them so we are asking for the church's feedback as to how we can better extend that love and care to our church as well as to Oakland so please join us uh, after the service to do that we also don't want to just keep it um, to ourselves in Oakland as as evidence of us sending our interns to um, Cebu, but we, we're also looking at sending another former intern uh, to be a missionary in Japan, and we all know of the the tragedy that happened in Japan with the earthquake and the tsunami. Um, I uh, have, have been doing some reading on that subject, and um, the devastation is not really covered in the news as much as it, it is really devastating there. Um we all know that Japan is a huge car manufacturer, and capacity is cut by 50% there, that if you are wanting a car, you, um, you, it is cut to 50% to where it is taking them twice as long to make a car to export and to bring in that revenue into the country. And so what affected one side of the country in terms of shutting down a nuclear power plant is affecting the other side of the island and shutting down those automakers to do things and doing brownouts and things like that. And that's just one segment of the industry that they have going there.